0: Is it really recording? Yeah. Hi, this is Mia from the I Want Your Sex podcast, uh, miaontop.com, and you're listening to Masocast. Uh This podcast is intended for adults 18 and over, uh, and if you are of age, enjoy. It's a good
1: podcast. Hello, and thank you for downloading another dot com is where you can find all of the uh, old episodes, and you can also find uh, links to everyone who's ever been on the podcast. You can donate, you can do lots of stuff. One of the most common complaints I get about the Massacast is that it's too short. Everyone always says, uh, why can't it be an hour? Why can't it be, well, Whatever. So today, going to try something uh, a little longer than usual. Usually, I try to keep the episodes around 20 to 30 minutes. Today, it's going to be closer to 40. And it's a conversation with my friend, Mistress Yin. You can find her website, mistressyin.livejournal.com. As per usual, I started by asking her about her introduction to BDSM.
0: I think it goes back to childhood, but you know, because I think that all children have a sexual inherent sexuality too. And I think sadomasochism was definitely a part of my childhood. Um, violence was part of my childhood. So I saw that on, on a you know, maybe not a day to day basis, but definitely on a weekly basis and a day to day fear mm-hmm. of violence in the household um, from my fathers and um, not towards me or my brother, but more towards my, my mother. Mm-hmm. So it's something that I grew up. Um, linking violence to something that's intimate um, and you know something that's about power or definitely about uh, but also that's something about nurturing and all these dynamics of victimhood um, as well as as I said before dominance over somebody. Um, so that part of sadomasochism that is not necessarily, the kinky fun part that we like yeah. to think about, it was inherent because of my, I think because of my environment. Um, who knows if it's in me genetically too, perhaps, you know, <laughs> but that that's a question that I don't really ask
1: too much about. Because I've asked myself that question many times. Do I, am I a product of my environment or is this?
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's both. You know, I, I think that there's uh, nature, nurture. I think there's, there's components to both sides. Um, and as well as the cosmos, <laughs> you know, um, it could be because Jupiter was in line with Mars. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it's not that I don't ask those questions. I have, I have asked those questions a lot, especially through my earlier years of like, you know, wrestling with those questions, um, being really ashamed of like, okay, am I just a product of my environment? Am I just, uh, re- repeating as, uh, you know, a violent scene that I had ingested, at, you know, when I was five years old? Mm-hmm. Am I just trying to get back there? Um, and then as long as I couple it and, and realize, okay, this might have be been part of my environment, um, but it's changed into something else. Violence has changed into, into S&M, um, into formal S M, into, you know, safe, <laughs> consensual <laughs> insane sane as we all say, but yeah, and as I said before, not always safe, consensual, insane, but <laughs> also <laughs> wacky, dark, wild, um, crazy, psychotics, you know, S&M as well, which is all... It's there. all wonderful. It's all and there. It's all there. <laughs> it's, all there, and it's, all there. <laughs> it's all
1: there. I heard uh, you read one of your stories mm-hmm. talking about, I believe, I think it was a story when you were talking about cutting someone.
0: Oh, okay. And actually, I wasn't cutting somebody else. I, we were... This is when I was 13, I was with um, you, know, with a kid that I hung out with a lot. In, in junior high terms, it meant like you're going out, but it really, you know, going out at that time meant you know, staying on the phone <laughs> and holding hands in class, maybe, but that's about it. Um, so I definitely had pseudomasochism throughout childhood play, too. I mean, I definitely saw where I took fairy tale stuff things like Hans Christian Andersen stories, Grimm's fairy tale stories, anything that had to do with needles. I loved this idea that, you know, Sleeping Beauty gets pricked by a a needle and falls to sleep. I just found that fascinating. Um, And I remember using thorns to play with. I used to, you know, and I used physical ideas of pain to conjure, or in my head, you know, make-believe magic. Um, And that was something that I played with a lot. So... When I you know stumbled into into early sexual awakening, um, there was a kid that I hung out with a lot, and he was a bit of a delinquent at that time. I wasn't quite yet. <laughs> I was still a bit bit of a nerd, um, not that I haven't yeah you know, have ever grown out of being a nerd, but um I was a very goody two shoes person uh, and really sheltered from the world and um, this kid came into my life and you know, he smoked, he cursed, and he was just everything that you know I wasn't allowed to be. So he came into my life, and after school one day, he had brought um, you know a pack of razors and just showed me that he cut himself. and gave me a blade as well. And you know, it resonated with me, this idea of of sharing this intimate feeling. Of of tearing the skin and and feeling so alive, you know, feeling so um, so so much like this is what matters to me. Is is this this idea that we're together, we're sharing um, a secret, and we're sharing something that's of ourselves, that's of our bodies, and that is completely just in the moment and has no. You know, and, there, and there was obviously like a certain type of ritual to it, too, that we were just sitting there um, with our endof- endorphins pumping and, you know, it was definitely um, a sexual act for me. Um, but uh, And I also remember at one point, too, that uh, he had taken one of my earrings and given it to, you know, asked me to pierce him with the earring and in which I did so, you know, so quickly. And it was just, it was just, it was a thrill. It was definitely
1: a thrill. So, so was he the first person? I mean, you you mentioned that you were playing with thorns and, and things like that, when, and your toys. Uh, I never really thought of the Sleeping Beauty thing before, but that's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, was he the first person you were with in that? In that context. In that context.
0: Yeah, I was 13. Yeah,
1: that's
0: pretty. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. going to get any younger than that in terms <laughs> of like a sexual. I mean, I was. As I said before, I was pretty sheltered. So, and then from there off, I was sort of off to the races in terms of like searching for sexuality and all the wrong or wonderful places, (laughs) all the dark places.
1: So, what was the what was the? Can you take me on some of that journey that after after that? What what happened?
0: Well, it was um, it was a really turbulent, you know, journey, definitely. it wasn't something where, okay, I did a cutting and then all of a sudden I knew that I was into S&M and that I was you know buying leathers and reading the 101 handbook. Right. It was definitely a, an extremely difficult search for myself um, knowing I was a sadomasochist, um, a very, very deep sadomasochist. I needed pain, I also needed to give pain. And um, so anyone who became close to me, including good, good friends, um, I would somehow find a way to have them let me hurt them, um, whether it was you know talking to girlfriends and and like playing out these sort of witch seances and and having me tie them and then use use you know something to to hurt them just as a ritual mm-hmm. you know that you know the, the girls do you know oh maybe boys do too <laughs> I don't know but um, it was sort of like our rite of passage and I think that kids do inherently make rites of passage for themselves um, you know either privately or socially and like fraternity hazing whatever mm-hmm. you know I can kind of compare it to that as well um, but any intimate partners you know that I started off having in in high school they uh, they just got you know beaten up <laughs> they just got beaten up by the, and bitten a lot I mean you know I think about actually how you know, <laughs> how, like, I must have been a really ter- like terrifying person to kiss, because somebody would come and, like, you know, I'd have a boyfriend who would kiss me, and I think I would just kind of go at them vampire-like. <laughs> you know, like, I, I needed to sort of not just feel their mouth against mine I needed to be able to sink my fingers into them, I needed to just kind of wrestle with them, slap them, and, and get to that point where it's, um, where I feel like they're surrendering something to me.
1: This has been a common thing that I've heard from several people mm-hmm. in your situation where was it difficult dating uh, or were the guys just up for anything because they really liked you
0: um some of you know some people were definitely into it um in high school I'd say about two of the boys were into it and then one boy just got incredibly scared off after at the first kiss I I just you know, he just avoided me, <laughs> like, like you know, completely. I mean, I didn't really date people in the same high school as me mm-hmm. either, so it, that didn't really matter. Right. But like, but, uh, um, yeah. I mean, I think that they just because I was, you know, I was a switch. I am a switch. So it was sort of like th- the guy I was with in my senior year of high school when he was he, he was a college kid. Um, was kind of into doing both sides, so it was, it was fine. And he was, you know, he was an art students guy, and, I, you know, it wasn't like I was dating a lot of mainstream people at the time. Um, and then once I got into college, same thing. For, you know, somehow I found the people t- to gravitate towards. I mean, my first college boyfriend was was into everything. I mean, I remember sh- we shopped for my first, like, uh, Dom Get Up and it was like this super cheesy vinyl piece from Patricia Fields. Um, I, okay, just,
1: help me out. Patricia Fields, is that like a... Okay,
0: Patricia Fields, okay, all the ladies will know about this. Like, she's like this this sort of stylist who's done like Sex and the City and everything else but she's got like these boutiques in the city that are that are for cross-dressers, for trannies, for, um, trainees, for um, club kids. I mean, she just basically puts it all into, a, all into her stores right. and... Um, I just remember going to one of her stores in the city and just picking out just this, like this ridiculous-looking piece, you know, just like the cheesiest dom outfit you could ever find. And the guy was absolutely in love with it, and you know, we started off just right away going very hardcore, doing chains around the genitals, um, you know, hardcore bondage, and. I think what was scary, though, was that my roommate <laughs> was super freaked out oh, because, you know, no. she would just feel like, what is going on? You know, she would... Um, because, you know, like, there's this old thing that if you're using the room for sex, you put, like, the ribbon or whatever and the sock on the doorknob, right. and I don't remember what it was for us, and she'd be sitting outside waiting to get into the room, hearing him scream, and, like, <laughs> you know, and I mean, it was crazy, I mean, but also... <laughs> it was but i was also an em- emotional status too I was pretty mean like uh-huh. I, um, at the time I didn't understand that domination came with um, domination came with caring i didn't understand i mean i definitely cared about the, the people but i thought that domination came with just extreme cruelty yeah. there was something about that i idolized about um, about this idea of Just cold, cold cruelty, you know, that I don't idolize anymore.
1: Was it because you had seen images of this is what a dominatrix does and so you acted accordingly, or was it just, no?
0: (laughs) You know, okay, you're gonna laugh. My idea of like the woman who is just in control and, and um, domineering was Glenn Close from Dangerous Liaisons. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, sure. this is a deep secret. I can't believe I'm saying this <laughs> <laughs> on your podcast, but like I thought she was just so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And when she said the word um, that her, her favorite word is not betrayal, but cruelty, mm-hmm. that completely resonated with me. For some reason, I thought that must be me. Because I'm a sadist and I'm, I, I want to hurt people emotionally too, um, or I thought I wanted to hurt people emotionally. What it really was is that I just wanted to have a DS, you know, relationship yeah. of, of where sadism is employed. So.
1: Right now, as people are listening, to this Netflix, the number one video is going to be Dangerous Liaisons for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. you going to That's see that. good, as, it's a
0: great movie. Yeah,
1: it's been a long time since <laughs> I've seen it, but I, I remember. So you, you, he was he a switch as well or your your, your college yeah record? that
0: one the one the first boy in college I was top mm-hmm. I was completely top and um, and that was good because yeah I was really kind of seeking myself as a top at that time I, I did start finding like my my um, switch part come out but not till not till later
1: mm-hmm. is that a hard thing to accept. Uh, I have friends who find that very difficult if they start out one way and then later in life they realize, Oh, I have, I have, I lean this way a little bit as well. Does that mean I'm less of a submissive or less, less of a dominant? Did you find that a difficult transition for you or?
0: No, because at that time I wasn't thinking those terms, uh-huh. um, in those years I was just thinking this is all sex, you know, yes. it's just all like crazy whacked out sex. Um, and I wasn't, I mean, I. I As I said, it was before I had really started reading about it, researching it, I never watched any, you know, BDSM porn, I didn't look at anything, which is, you know, it's too bad that I didn't start researching it earlier, because I wanted more to be the bottom, the masochist, and um, the supposed victim, than I was comfortable with being the top. Mm -hmm. And I I feel that I am more of a natural top sadist, but... I felt like you could you could have more sympathy for the person on the bottom um than the person on the top i was horrified at myself for being a sadist mm-hmm. i was horrified at the things that i did uh, and i i pushed myself to limits you know during those times when there was you know plenty of drugs drinking and um just you know just crazed behavior going on where i would just push the limits of of anything that was safe. You know, I put myself as well as my partners into really dangerous, dark situations and was, you know, paid a lot of... I paid the price, a very, really high price mm-hmm. coming out of it. I mean, it it, it damaged me for a while, mm-hmm. my idea of what it means to be a sadist. Um, and it, it wasn't until I started being able to read about it, um, read about BDSM and um, more... That I finally realized. Okay, other people do this too. Okay, you know this is this is not just some, you know, something that's stuck in a basement down in down in the meatpacking district. Mm-hmm. This is something that um, that intellectuals have written about. That you know people can be respected about. And it was life saving to find BDSM to feel like okay. Ah, I can I can relate to myself all over again in a different way so I, I sought it out in different ways I sought it out through cabaret um, you know while I was in college I actually started doing fetish cabaret at this place called the Blue Angel which was this um, fabulous you know underground scene in in Tribeca and for a while i felt like that was empowering because i was taking my sexuality and putting putting it on stage and i felt a little safer because i was on stage mm-hmm. and it wasn't you know it wasn't going to get out of hand it wasn't going to get t- too messy because it was on stage in front of everybody yeah. um, and then you know and then i started searching more and more for an actual community and actual um, rules. <laughs> I started searching for rules for myself because I needed, as a sadist and as a top, I needed rules for myself because I was,
1: you know. How did you find rules?
0: Hmm, good question. <laughs> the first thing was reading, you know, reading, reading about BDSM through, I remember taking a class and actually um, in at Columbia on sexuality. And there was a, there was this great book called Social Text um, where they there's an article written about Madonna of all people and she really you know at the time she was putting out a lot of fetish stuff that no one really put out there before yeah and so I you know I have to give it up (laughs) But like I love Madonna because she actually did show um S&M in sort of a sexy wild but also um controlled way
1: well you know the book sex that she had. Yeah, that
0: exactly. That was so hot. I love that. I'm telling you, Glenn Close and Madonna. These <laughs> two women, these blondes in my life. Oh, they have, I really have to say. I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but um, the article that I had read was was about Madonna putting BDSM out there in in mass media and making it okay for for other people to think as sexy. And so that was that was actually really a great step. Also um I started looking more for because I was doing cabaret I started looking for you know jobs in in the industry which was a complete nightmare oh so. <laughs> and it was kind of interesting uh well actually I had written about this on my Smith mag um, diaries uh, and but I'll repeat it, well, it, uh, is it okay to... that
1: people know that you were the author of those Smith mag diaries Oh yeah it's okay. fine at the
0: end I think I actually even put my name on okay. um, on one of the comments so it was fine um well the funny thing is, I went to a few houses and one of the biggest houses that's still going on now, um, r- refused to hire me, you know, Just, I mean, at the time, I guess there weren't, um, the Asian fetish hadn't like exploded and they had only a few doms of any kind of ethnicity, you know, of, um, mixed ethnicity to, on their staff. so. I was told by the receptionist that they already had an Asian mistress. That she was thinner than I was,
1: <laughs> and, That's so, crazy. and
0: that, you know, but if if a client called who wanted an Asian mistress and she wasn't available, then they'd call me, and I was just appalled. I was like, "Oh, that is you're only going to call me if they want an Asian mistress." I mean. I just felt like, okay, this is affirmative action in the absolute <laughs> wrong, most <laughs> like,
1: back-ass way. Yeah, you know? well, it's so. also, that says, just that in and of itself says so much about that particular house, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. That they weren't going to ask, they didn't ask you anything about experience, they didn't ask anything about... Oh, yeah. They had only they only had one thing in mind when they looked at you. Exactly. That's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you, how did how did you not just give up? Try, I mean, I,
0: well, I did. I gave up um, trying in New York because the second then the second house that I went to um, was this small little <laughs> little um, dungeon space uh, that was very creepy. But the headmistress there was um, this really tall German woman who basically told me that you know if I if I wanted to, you know, start in the business, then I had to submit to her first. And she also just, you know, said, you've, you've got to, like, do all these things and, like, tailor your look and whatever. And I was basically just, I left, you know, mm-hmm. I quit. And, um...
1: Do you think it was because she was being senior or because she was, like, the old guard thing? You know, the old guard, they, the ability she'd start out as a submissive and work your way up.
0: Right, this idea of apprenticing. Um, Well, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily just that. I mean, (laughs) because I worked there for like maybe a few hours in the afternoon with her where she was answering the phones Mm -hmm. and, um, a client had called in and so she was telling the client who was there, but she was trying to do it in a third person rather than saying, Oh, I am mistress, um, such and such, Mm -hmm. you know, and that I am like this and I'm like that. And then there's mistress yin and she's like this and she's like that instead she, you know, she said okay you know mistress and she was talking about herself um, you know mistress Germany let's just say is you know you know five nine willowy gorgeous long hair pale skin you know um, wields a whip like you know like a cat and and then she said and then there's mistress Yin and
1: she's shorter Oh geez. And that was it. Okay. Okay, so my wild. description
0: was I was shorter. So I was not only just Okay, so at one place I was a- I was only Asian. That was all I was given. And the other place I was shorter. It does not sound like something out of the British Asian. version. It sounds
1: like something <laughs> in the British version of The Office. Yeah, No. You know, it, it sounds like a comment It
0: was it was it was pretty comedic. I mean, I was I was appalled, but I just found it hysterical and I, I did, you know, tell the owner about um about that mistress and then but I quit at the same time, and I remember running into some of the other mistresses who worked there later, and they were all just so happy for me. They were they they were just so happy that that I had actually spoken up to this, the owner and gotten her fired yeah. supposedly, and they were all like, "You should come back! You should come back!" And I was like, "No, I don't think so." Yeah. <laughs> um. So I I did give up in New York. I saw a few clients who. I picked up through doing cabaret works mm. um, where they see my show and they'd come up and say, "Hey, um, you know, or do you do this in, in as private sessions as well?" So I did see some really interesting people. This one couple was great, um, you know, that that I enjoyed playing with, um, and another guy who was an entirely interesting story is a—he uh, was a gay guy. He was an Asian Asian guy, and. Um, His scene was for me to come in and catch him um, masturbating to to you know um, homo porn like Mm -hmm. gay porn, and that I would humiliate him for it, and he would get off on that. And that's when I was like really faced with this idea of verbal humiliation and humiliation in general of of some and especially humiliating somebody for something that I wouldn't you know, I wouldn't want to humiliate somebody yeah. else for. I would want, you know, but that's what he wanted. And I also knew that he was completely out in the gay community and that he, um, that this was, you know, that he was an AIDS activist and all, you know, he's done all this great stuff, but this was just something that he he wanted once in a while. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to confront my own demons that way. Um, because, you know, it, there's a lot of things in BDSM that we see that are so taboo, um, they're even taboo for us, mm-hmm. you know, for the kinkiest. Like whether they'd be um, people wearing Nazi uniforms or whether they'd be people doing age play, extreme age play, where you really think, okay, is there like an extreme pedophilia going on here? I mean, you see male tops with like really young, young looking legal girls, mm-hmm. all, you know, all the time and you just, and you have to wonder but then, and but that's you know, we claim them all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all a part of our tribe. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, so you gave up in New York mm-hmm. and then uh, you went to San Francisco or how did this, well, that's a pretty okay. big jump, I'm sure. Like
0: <laughs> right, I gave up with New York. Right. I just went across the country. Um, so I was with somebody who, who wanted to move out to San Francisco mm-hmm. also. So we moved out to San Francisco um, and right away I wanted to pursue a job in, in BDSM. And I found a house that was in the East Bay called the Shadows that is now closed that was, you know, as soon as I walked in, I just felt like this is a really amazing place. Mm-hmm. It was beautifully and cleanly equipped. Um, it was run by a couple um, who were who were lifestyle, and the women there were just really welcoming um, the girl, you know, I'll call them the girls the girls were like you know they wanted to teach each other mm-hmm. um, as soon as I walked in I was told that, that I was going to be taught you know um, how to wield a whip before I used it you know um, how to do everything before I used it, and most importantly how to clean yes. <laughs> everything you know um, but you know the, the the man of the house um, was an amazing whip thrower and he showed me how to flog and I would, you know, it was amazing. It was a really great way to learn um, the skills while I was working.
1: And uh, so you went from the extremes from the German woman mm-hmm. to sort of a, sounds like a little family. Mm-hmm. Was that, did it really change your perception of it or
0: it did. It definitely did. Um working with this, this group of women who are so inviting and welcoming. I mean there was definitely, you know, like any family there was little bickering here and there. Mm-hmm. But um we were we had each other's backs and it, it definitely felt like I had found a place to do what I needed to do safely. Um, and I don't even mean like physically safely, but psychologically safely for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it I mean I just remember like every day I was learning something new. And you know that feeling. it's yeah. just it's just it's such like it's so invigorating. and it just felt like I was I really felt like, yes, this is what I want to do. This is my calling. This is what I, you know, I yearn to do is to to bring people to those places of of extreme exhilaration and and, um, you know, to the parts of their psyches that they dare not show others um, and to make them feel safe about doing it
1: and that's a, that's one thing that uh, just listening to what you've you've talked about so far even is that uh, it almost sounds like you're, you' you've gone out of your way to try to help someone to help others not feel the shame that you felt maybe when you were first starting out
0: Yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely important to me. I feel like that's I feel like that's a lifelong commitment Mm -hmm. (laughs) to kink actually is um, taking the people who who are coming in and feeling uneasy about it and really showing them that it's such a beautiful thing to embrace and that as soon as they can embrace it, um, that they'll lead richer and just much more like, you know, stronger senses of themselves.
1: Um, this is gonna be another one of those things that's not a question it's just a statement okay <laughs> it, but should I
0: respond it, with a question you, can, you can respond <laughs> with a question okay
1: I, I'll read I'll read your live journal about some of the things that you are doing and exploring and, and there have been times when you've you've written about an act that would scare the crap out of me mm-hmm. under normal circumstances if someone even were, were to say um hey do you want to shove a harpoon through your forehead Mm -hmm. I would say no there's something about your writing that you can make shoving a harpoon through someone's forehead sound appealing and Mm -hmm. I don't know I don't know what it is if it's because (laughs) it sounds like wow I've been surprised by things that you have written about like piercing or whatever that that I would think wow yes that that sounds amazing Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think that's one thing that reading your blog has shown a lot about is that it's not so much what's happening, but how and who. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I really don't have a question. I'm just kind of amazed that some of the stuff that you write about. Thank
0: you. Because, you know, I get the comment a lot, too, about... um, I have a lot of people who read my journal and say that they're really scared of me. (laughs) That they're really scared to meet me then. Or they're like just... Some people are just horrified by the things that I write about. Um, And they'll just say, I can't believe you do all these things. And... You know, in some ways, there are some things that I write about um, where I take you know I'm trying to put somebody into the mood of being in the session into the, the mindset of of um, of being there and being being with me at the time of 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 feeling that intensity of whatever action going on so um, you know so I'll choose the actions that are most uh, Sensual, or that will conjure the senses the most to the reader. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also want to take this time too to separate the differences between my writing and then some other people's writings who write for me for my blog, mm-hmm. um, which you know, Slave Seven or Moan or um, a few other people have uh, um, done v. some. Yeah, V exactly have, have done pieces that I've I've displayed on my on my journal and. The purpose is that, too, is because I want people to also see that whatever I see as a top, there's another story to it, and that is that of the bottom, Mm -hmm. and that they're going to see something else. And every bottom sees me through their own lens, you know, um, the way my connection to V, my connection to Seven, my connection to Moan, you know, or to Debbie, you know, there's going to be a different... um, feeling how they feel about me you know whether it's one of like extreme fear and because that person wants to hold on to fear and that's their kink Mm -hmm. as opposed to somebody who comes to me and really looks for this strengthening of of ritual of of you know rites of passage of feeling like they're they're um grounding themselves through s&m rather than rather than putting themselves into you know into the fringe yeah because um, that that fascinates me too. Because whatever I do, and you know, I can write about it from my perspective. But it's amazing to hear then what the other person was thinking or how they even see me. Yeah. You know, because so many people think of me in a completely different way. So, so are, I feel are, like you, are you often
1: surprised uh, about how others uh, perceive you, whether it's in a scene or?
0: Sometimes, yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'll admit we were talking about this earlier before we started recording. Is that? Um, I think the last time it came up it was we were on our way to a, a party that you were throwing mm-hmm. and uh, someone kind of just mentioned oh they heard that this party was happening and they mentioned you and they thought she's they said she's very um, what was the word they used <clears throat> not cold they, they said she's stern that was it mm-hmm. she's a very stern person they said and I said yin? <laughs> And but you mentioned that people seem to have this perception of you. And maybe it's because of your writing, mm-hmm. and uh, and maybe it's because of of uh, who knows what the answer is. But are you often surprised that? Because I don't see you as this stern person at all. Maybe because I've seen right. I've seen you in person many times, and we've hung mm-hmm.
0: out. And that wasn't a person that was I was sessioning with.
1: No, no, no. This okay. is someone who I I, I think the they probably just saw you at, from afar at a party someplace, right. or maybe they just read your my. I mean, I have no idea. Right, uh, but it was clear that they hadn't really met you or spent any time with you. Mm-hmm. But w- whether it's a scene or I mean, do you get? Su- are you surprised by that? Or
0: no, I'm not. Um, I you know I know what I put on my website. Mm-hmm. I know what persona I have. I have um, uh, you know so- sort of exuded out there to try and um, have the type of sessions that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I know that one thing that I really do enjoy is this, is, is you know, this idea of of training, of, um, you know, this idea of discipline, but I'm not speaking of discipline in a way where, or, you know, thinking like, oh, you know, bad slaves slap them on the ass kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But just this idea of, um, and I'm gonna <laughs> say like this idea of martial discipline, this idea of martial art discipline, of like that you're disciplining yourself to be within the moment um, so and and to you know take S&M as as an art form mm-hmm. um, as well as an, that is an erotic art form yeah. um, so I know that I, I do have that persona out there and I'm fine with it um, but the people who are close to me know that I am just really silly you know that I'm wacky and that uh, I'm not that I'm not that person all the all the time, yeah. but it's definitely some um, a part of my S and M practice that I really do enjoy. Um, as I said, you know, Glenn Close imagining her <laughs> in a military uniform saying the word cruelty. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that's something that's really gorgeous to me still. But at the same time, I think now that I I see, you know, w- the idea of even just the idea of training. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, people use the word slave training and they think it to mean, you know, to serve the mistress to the best of, you know, the mistress wants exactly how all slaves to be the same, like the stable of, of nameless and faceless slaves that have, you know, (laughs) barcodes I mean, like, you know, and, you know, that's a great fantasy. It's really fun. Um, But my idea of actually training is to, you know, work with somebody and to really pull out the best of what they have to give to me but also to themselves Mm -hmm. of submission like the most beautiful part of submission to themselves whether it be service if somebody really loves service and they want training in service then i'll go down that road with them of of saying okay let's let's you know make it so that you're really proud of your service Mm -hmm. or if you're a masochist then let me, I, I'm go, I wanna teach you how to be able to take pain and use it for yourself to get really high. And then also using that breath training um, that, you know, people in martial arts use, yogic use, um, you know, Lamaze classes are all about, mm-hmm. <laughs> about taking pain yeah. and using it. Um, so to even teach masochists how to uh, train themselves to be able to take pain and, and make it glorious. And then also in in that, being able to take more for me, because I love pushing somebody who is a masochist mm-hmm. to that, to that all you know, not to break them, but just to to bring them to the state of um, exaltation in themselves.
1: Yeah. One thing I, that by I'm taking this from your writing and also from what I I, I know of you, and you you do like ritual a lot, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's and it's so. For lack of a better word, romantic on how you on how you apply ritual with not just your interactions with SM but also with your friends. Mm-hmm. What is it about ritual that really does it for you? Is it because it, it's almost religious? In some mm-hmm. I mean, I mean it is religious. So the way you the way you practice it, right, not yeah. just in your but in your in your personal life as well. I mean, I've I, I'm, this won't be in in the podcast, but a prime example is New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. when you're sitting around and you know you read something you burn some sage you know and uh, and also just in in play it it comes up again is it what what is it about ritual that really
0: I think you know the acts of ritual is about bringing somebody's consciousness into the moment so that they can just truly just be aware of what's going on what their actions are and not that they're just reacting or um, blowing through a moment carelessly Where they're not noticing every, you know, I want somebody to like come into ritual, noticing all of the details, feeling like this is a special time. This is a special, you know, um, time for them just to leave everything else that they need to think about later on and all the activities down the road, you know, all the chores they need to do, leave that behind and just give themselves this moment, whether it just be um, the ritual of sitting down with friends and sharing. sharing something special from their heart or whether it be the ritual of marriage Mm -hmm. let's say um because the moment is you know okay i'm gonna get really woo woo you know like because the moment is what we have you know and then on the other side of the moment is death and i've had a lot of death in my life and i've also had a lot of searching for death in my life through sexuality through violence um and that is actually what's on the other side of sex, and that's what's on the other side of S and M too. Is this idea of pain, death, um, that it's there, it's there for us, mm-hmm. and then the other side is living and and you know this moment. And so, taking the moment and making it sacred is um, is about saying this is this is the other side of death. Let's let's take this time of life now and make, crystallize it into something.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then because later on, it's, it's gonna be gone, you know. <laughs> you know? So that's what I, I feel like ritual is so important mm-hmm. to me. Um, I think that all all rituals are about death. I think, you know, whether it be, as I said, whether it be a wedding ritual, whether it be a ritual of, of you know, it, religious rituals of baptism, religious rituals of, of you know, mm-hmm. Um, about Mitzvahs, it's about a rite of passage of time in your life, because this is you have to mark, you have to mark the times in your life, um, because as as I said, you know the other side of that is is death and things go so quickly that there's so much of the everyday that we have to do. We have to do our laundry. We have to catch yeah. the cab. We have to, you know, um, apartment search, which I'm doing now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like we have so much going on that. When it, to, to make a moment meaningful is to set it down and to um, to give it that reverence you know and give yourself that reverence
1: for the record go woo woo anytime you want See, that's <laughs> so beautiful I really like that sounded. that was great so if someone wants to find your writing on uh
0: Oh, in the print mag. Yes. Okay, so that's going to be called the Looking Glass Magazine, mm-hmm. and um, it's not a it's not a fetish magazine. It's not a magazine that's based on BDSM, and the story that I write is actually a um, mm-hmm. it's a story about an intimate relationship that I had, and you know I I mix it up a little bit just for the sake of um, for the sake of you know protecting people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know it's a, it, it's not necessarily um, one about being a dom, a, a dominatrix um, who is sure of herself. It's definitely about being somebody who's trying to find um, intense love and um, not necessarily doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or not necessarily finding it in the right per- you know finding that connection or or just being. Um, you know, a little bit uh, fixed in her own um, idea of, of of fetishism and of mm-hmm. roles. And I write about masks and hoods and I, I sort of use it as this idea that, you know, because I love hoods, I think, you know, just to take somebody's identity away and make them into that bodily creature is such a sexy thing. Yeah. Um, but it's about, you know, a woman, well me, at a time going into a relationship where I fell in love with a masochist but I was in love with the masochist and not the person. Mm. And um, that's really confusing. But know?
1: it's going to be a very interesting read and uh, I'm looking yes. forward to reading it myself. All right. Thank you so much for sitting down with me and I'd please do it again sometime uh, soon I hopefully because this was uh, this was awesome. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you to Mistress Yin and Thank you again for listening. Mastercast.com to donate and to email and hope you have a good couple weeks. We'll see you later. Bye-bye.